covered uh, already on the third of our uh, five-part sermon series on uh, 1 John, and uh, started with uh, Mark Millington, and, uh, and, and he talked about some of the themes of 1 John as being life, love, and truth, and uh, two of those particularly are going to come up today, the life and the love, because this passage is all about what it means to live life as the children of God. And what a privilege that is. How amazing that is. That we should be called the children of God. Andrew and I have uh, some very close friends who, I think about five years ago, adopted two little girls, two sisters. They were both very young. Uh, I think probably around about four and two years old, maybe a little bit younger. Um, and even in that short period of time of their lives, they had seen and heard and uh, experience things that no little child should. And so they the two beautiful little girls, amazingly beautiful little girls. But uh, their parents lived fractured, dysfunctional lives and they suffered the consequences of that. And that's why they were taken into adoption. And um, these two little girls had to learn to be children again and children in the family because they'd never really experienced that. Our friends told us that uh, the first time they had a kind of argument together, because couples do that, don't they? Yeah. <laughs> Come on, please say yes. <laughs> Otherwise, Andrew and I are in trouble. Um, and it wasn't a major argument, it wasn't a big thing, it was just like an argument like any other married couple would. And uh, it was the first time they had an argument with the kids there. And uh, the eldest of the two girls said to her mum, do I need to ring the police yet? Because she was so used to just ringing the police when things got out of control in her house. She was the one who took that responsibility. And the youngest to this day still struggles with uh, attachment issues and always wants to be with her mum and dad because she's so afraid that they'll be taken away from her. So even though they are now in a very secure, loving family, they are still learning what it means to, to be part of that family and to live as children that are part of a family. And it's exactly the same for us. We've all been adopted into the family of God. And we are still in the process of learning what it means to live life as the children of God. And this passage starts to kind of expand on that and to, to help us think through, what does it mean for me to be a child of God? What's this passage about? And I love how it starts off you know, how great the, the love that God has lavished on us, that we should be called the children of God. What a, what a phrase that is. It's perhaps one of my favourite phrases in Scripture. That God has lavished his love on you and has made you his child. And another guy I know, he was adopted and, and he always says that he knows his mum and dad love him simply because he was chosen. He was chosen. 
and you've been chosen. That's one of the, the words that is used in Scripture to describe us, that God chose us and adopted us into his family and has lavished his love on us, even though we were unworthy of that love and even though we didn't deserve it and even though we'd never earned it, he lavishes his love on us each and every day. And what a phrase that is, lavish. It's not a word we use these days, is it? Can has implications of extravagance, of more than enough. He just doesn't give us enough love. He gives us more than enough. He overwhelms us with his love and he brings us into his family and we become his children. It's a little bit hard for most of us now to think of ourselves as children, isn't it? Yeah, we've been living life for quite a long time. We've had kids, some of you have got grandkids, some of you perhaps got great-grandkids. I don't think any of you got great-great-grandkids. I don't think so. But it's hard to think of ourselves in those terms, but that's still who we are. God's made us his sons and his daughters. He's brought us in through the extravagance of his love into a place of relationship, a place of love, a place of security, a place of belonging, a place where he can keep on expressing his love to us in all sorts of ways. And then the next little line I like is uh, where it's a kind of thing that's come up quite a lot recently, uh, where Paul says, continue. Sorry, it's not John Paul, it's John. John says, continue in this. And a few weeks ago, I preached on this, this idea of that we need to keep on continuing in what we've learned, experienced, and shaped in our lives. We need to keep on continuing with it. I even did an email about it, not knowing that it would also come up this week that we are to continue in what God has given us. And I really think that God is speaking to us as a church through that one little word, continue. And I said a few weeks ago, I'm going to say it again because I think it's so important, because I think it's a prophetic thing, that the things that we've started to pick up on in church, it's like this year, you know, two major uh, sermon series I think have had an impact upon our life, is around belonging and things like eating together and sharing life together and then the work of the Holy Spirit. We need to continue in them. It's not like, right, we did belong, we've done the whole community thing, we've had a few meals together, we can stop that and move on to something else. We need to keep on doing that. I'm not going to embarrass you by saying put your hands up, but have you continued inviting people out for meals or around for meals or sharing meals together? Have you continued in that? Because that's the question I want to ask you today. Are you continuing in the things that we've learned? Are you continuing in opening up your life to the work of the Spirit so that we can keep on moving in the power of the Spirit as we try to reach this town? We need to keep on doing it. We need to not just keep on doing it as it is, but keep on growing in it. The continuing implies moving forward developing, growing in something. 
And so I would encourage you, all the things that we try to, to learn together as the family here, to continue in them. So not just think, right, that's one sermon series done, tick, let's move on to the next one. We can't do that. These are the things that should shape our lives so that we become the people who God intended us to become. So that we become more like Jesus. And we are to continue in them. And this, that word comes up again. John says, dear children, continue in him. That is more than just staying, become, you know, staying as a Christian. It's more than that. It's keep moving forward. Keep developing. Keep growing. Because the moment you stop growing, you don't just plateau and stay the same. If you stop growing, you start to die. There is no plateau, I think, in the kingdom of God. You're growing or you're dying. You're moving away from Jesus or you're moving towards Jesus. Very rare do I see anyone stay in exactly the same place for any length of time. So I'd encourage you, keep on moving. Keep taking seriously the things that we talk about here. Keep taking seriously the things that God says to you personally. But specifically in this passage, John starts to then talk about two things that we should continue in. And the first one is really strongly evident in the first half of the passage. And that is purity. John encourages us into purity. So he says this, Everyone who has this hope in Jesus purifies himself just as he is pure. What is purity? Purity is more, I think, than just not sinning. Because that's the thing we tend to think about when it comes to purity. It's about not sinning. When I kind of looked at all the Bible passages around purity, they had far more to do with the heart than the actions. And there's a very good reason for that. It's out of our heart that actions come. And so there's very few things, and I'm not bragging here, there are very few things that I do wrong, that I do that are sinful. I still have a few things to work on, but very few. However, if you looked into my heart and my mind, you'd see a very different thing. You'd see a lot more darkness you'd see a lot more things that are not of God. And I can guarantee it's the same for all of us. Sometimes we can get so focused on the outward, not doing things that we shouldn't do, that we forget that actually those things should be naturally done out of a heart that is pure. And more and more, I'm thinking we need to keep on changing our thinking, not just our behaviour. Because it's out of our thinking that our behaviour comes. So if you examined your heart, if you examined your mind and the kind of thinking things, that, the things that you think through during the day, what would that look like? I guess for most of us it wouldn't be very pleasant. I'm just a stab in the dark, just a guess. But it's interesting, isn't it, that 
the, the psalmist talks about having uh, clean hands and a pure heart. In other words, we should be doing things that are right and true and not doing sinful things, but we also need to have a heart that is pure as well. We need to have a heart that is set on Jesus. A heart that thinks and feels as Jesus would. And that is a bigger task, isn't it? Because we don't always have control or proper control of the feelings that we have. We sometimes allow our thoughts to go onto all sorts of tangents that aren't very helpful. And we need to bring those things under control and focus on what is good and right and true so that our hearts become pure. See, if we get our hearts right and our minds, our thinking right, our behaviour just follows naturally. So how pure is your heart? How pure is your thinking? And then the second half of uh, our passage, John focuses on another aspect of what it means to, be, to live life as the children of God, and that is to love one another. We are to, to live lives that are pure and holy. And then I think quite cleverly then focuses on love. Because I don't know about you, but I've seen a few people who, who think they're holy, and quite often they're insufferable. Do you know, have you met people like that? A bit self-righteous, a bit condemning, looking down on other people. That's clearly not someone who's pure of heart. Because one who's pure of heart will love his brothers and sisters. And so we're encouraged in the second half of this passage to love one another. And again, that focuses on how you feel towards others. See, love is always a choice. It's not always a feeling, it's always a choice. But as we make the right choices, the feelings can follow. And I'm sure there are people here in this church who you spend time with and you would struggle to love them. But we choose to. We choose to love people because they are our family. These are the people that we'll spend eternity with. If you can't love them here, what are you going to be like for the rest of eternity? We are called to love one another. We're called to live life differently. And we're called to live a radical life of love. So John says, you know, we should be ready to lay down our lives for one another. That's a choice. And it's hard for us to think in those terms. For John, it would have been quite easy to think in those terms because they were by then starting to become a persecuted church. And they would have to literally lay down their lives for one another. But what about us? Are we prepared to simply just go the extra mile for each other? Are we prepared to invite those who we struggle with for a meal? Are we prepared to support one another when things are going wrong for someone? Are we prepared to simply step out and do more than we would do normally simply because these are our family and we should be doing this because we love one another? 
I want to encourage you to think through not just how you live your life as an individual in, in terms of purity, but to think about how we live our lives here together as family and we love one another. And what does that mean practically? See, when, when you are in a, a loving relationship, service becomes natural, shouldn't it? You know, you want to do something for the person that you love. You want to help them out. You want to support them in what they're doing. You want to do things that, that they would appreciate. You want to do things that would make their life easy. That's the natural part of a loving relationship. And here in this family, it should be the same. Even the things that, I mean, Simon mentioned before, the things that we're looking for, uh, kind of the tasks that need to be fulfilled in church, the opportunities to serve, why aren't they getting filled? Because if we really loved one another, we'd be looking for opportunities to serve the rest of the family. That should be a natural expression of our love for one another. That we would look for ways in which we can serve and support the rest of the family, to enable that, the whole family to flourish and develop and grow. Love and service are two sides of the same coin. How are you loving your family here? It's easy to simply rock up for an hour on a Sunday and say, yeah, I love my family, and then never have anything to do with them for the rest of the week. That's easy. But how can you serve here? How can you provide ways to support this family in the things that need to be done? And there are always things that need to be done. Whether it's laptop or sound or children's work or youth work or uh, tea and coffee after the service. All sorts of ways in which you can serve. All of them are simply an expression of love for the family. And so in verse 18, John says this, Dear children, let us not love with words or tongue, but with actions and in truth. With actions and in truth. And then listen to what he says then. This then is how we know that we belong to the truth and how we set our hearts at peace in his presence. Just think about that one phrase there. John is connecting the way in which we love and serve our family to your personal relationship with God and your sense of peace that you have in his presence. He's directly connecting those two things. That's astonishing, I think. But John later on in this passage, in this, uh, sorry, in this letter, then talks about how, how can you say you love God but then don't love your brother or sister. He says that you can't have kind of two separate things here. They are, they are con deeply connected. Your love for God should lead you to love your brothers and sisters. And if you don't love your brothers and sisters, and don't forget he's talking about love as action, if you don't love your brothers and sisters, how then can you love God? It's powerful stuff. 
And when you think about the implications of it, it should drastically change how we think about our family here and think about what we do to, to help and support this family. So let me encourage you to think about how are you expressing love for this family? What are the ways in which you can serve? What are the ways in which you can simply, perhaps unofficially, help other people here? Turn your love into action. And then finally, just a comment about the language all the way through this passage. It's all plural. You see, we do this together. We do this as a family. We do this as a group of people who are committed to Jesus, but also committed to one another. Even purity is something that we work out together. It's not simply you and God working it out. We are deeply committed to one another. Deeply committed to seeing each other grow, seeing the whole church grow. Deeply committed to living out a life of love. See, when you're part of a family, you have an incredible privilege. Not everyone is part of a family. Those two little girls struggled in their family. I mean, their family life was non-existent. And it was to their detriment. We here are now part of a family called Christ Church. And as a family, we should encourage one another to grow, to flourish, to develop, to become all that God would have us be. We should be with each other in the hard times and celebrate with each other in the good times. And that shouldn't be organised from the centre. It should simply be a natural overflowing of the love that we've received from God. That lavish love that he poured out on us. It's poured out on us so that then we can take it and share it with one another. We are in this together. We are the family of God. We are the children of God here in this church. So let us live lives that are pure, that are holy, in which we are thinking internally about the state of our heart and the state of our mind. And let us love one another in ways that are expressed practically, in ways that seek to serve each other. Because that's what family is. A place in which everyone is served. Should we stand together? I'm just going to, I'm, I haven't checked with Simon, I'm just going to do this. I know that I'm the boss, but Simon's always the boss, really. Um, we're going to sing two songs together, so if uh, the band would like to come. And um, myself and a couple of others on the ministry team, we'll be over to one side. And if you would like prayer for anything at all, this is our way of serving you. It might be that you come here today, you've got something physically wrong, or maybe there are situations in your life that you know you need prayer for. We would love to pray with you. 
So we'll be available at the side for you. But before we sing together, let's just pray. Lord, we thank you that you've poured out a lavish love upon us and you've made us your children. And I thank you, Lord, that here in this place we become brothers and sisters, we become family. So, Lord, help us to live that out. Help us, Lord, to look for ways in which we can practically demonstrate.